first reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 12, which is on page 13 in the Red Bibles in your seats. And we're starting from uh, verse 10 in chapter 12 and reading right the way through to 13, 18. So that's Genesis chapter 12, starting at verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. And as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men-servant and maid-servant, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said? Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called in the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for the possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked up and saw the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt toward Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look to the north and the south, east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. The second reading we're going to have is from Hebrews chapter 11. 
and we're just reading verse 8 to 10, and that can be found on page 1209 in the Red Bibles. That's Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 8 on page 1209. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were his heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Lower prices with Tesco Club Card. How do you spot a club card user? Well, there you go. That's how you spot them. They have a smiling filter on them as they walk down the street. Um, how do you spot a Christian? Do they have a Tesco glow? Do they have a halo? Well, definitely. Can you see? Halo is definitely the proof. There you go. There's the proof. How do you spot a Christian? Well, the answer is you see someone who has real faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, real trust in him, not, not just religious feelings, not some sort of a rational leap of faith, but relying on Jesus in this life and the next but what does that look like? What does real faith actually look like? That's what we're going to be uh, seeing from our uh, verses in Genesis chapter 12 and 13 this morning. I'm going to pray for us as we come to look at them together. Let me pray. Almighty God, we've been singing that you are holy, holy, holy. All your ways are just and true. We praise you for who you are, we recognize before you that we are not who we long to be. We pray that you would help us to see more clearly who you are, what you've done for us, deepen our understanding of that and our understanding of what it means to rely and trust in you. Please speak to us through your word this morning, we pray. We desperately need to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you could turn back to Genesis uh, chapter 12, which is page 13. So, uh, you know, we've been uh, going through Genesis up to Easter. We were um, all the way up to the sort of beginning of chapter 12. We pick it up here, um, halfway through chapter 12. Um, and actually, it's a brilliant section for us as we think about what does real faith look like? 
Because here in Genesis 12, all the way through to 25, um, you see the life of Abraham, and you see two big themes. The promises of God. Those great promises of how God is going to deal with sin and put everything right. The, The promises of God, and it's really answering the question, is God a faithful God, able to keep His promises? And you also see Abraham and the faith of Abraham, or or Abraham as he is here, becomes Abraham later. And it's answering the question, what does real faith look like? Because you see, in the New Testament, if you want to know what faith is, it says, look at Abraham. That's what faith looks like. Now, we have to be careful when we come to the Bible. Not every character in the Bible are sort of examples for us. So, you know, we're not supposed to uh, do what Gideon does with the fleece or think we're able to do what David did with Goliath. But when it comes to Abraham, we're told that Abraham is a model for us. Galatians says he's a man of faith. In that Hebrews reading, here he is, an example of faith for us. So what do you expect Abraham to be like if he's the model of faith? Do you think he's going to be like, you know, when you read one of those great Christian biographies? Do you know what I mean? Um, When I was a younger Christian, I was reading a biography of Jim Elliot, and it was so inspiring. And a couple of years back, I thought, I might just pick it up, read it again. I had to stop. It was so discouraging. Because what I realized is that this portrayal of Jim Elliot was just nothing like me. He was so strong, so perfect, so courageous. Is that what Abraham's like? Well, what we're going to see is that Abraham is a much more of a mixed character, a mixed bag. Because the Bible gives a more realistic picture, and I think encouraging picture, of what real faith looks like. And here's the first thing we're going to see. A faithless Abraham and a faithful God. As we come to chapter 12, well, Abraham has begun really well. God has made these massive promises to him. And so he's left his home, his country, his community, and he's gone to the land of Canaan. He had faith. He trusted in God and his promises. Until, well, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. And Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while. Because the famine was severe. Famine. I mean, how can this be? Surely Abraham and his wife Sarah, Sarai and his nephew Lot and the people and possessions, uh, you know, all with them, they must have been asking the question, how can this be? We're in the land of blessing and there's famine. Well, some are taught, if you're a Christian, you have faith, when then your life will get increasingly better. That is not the reality, is it? It's not the Bible's reality. It's not Abraham's reality. In this broken world as he's facing starvation. And here, if you like, is Abraham's first test. Will he trust God and his promises? And for Abraham, 
Well, I think what happens is probably the fear rises. And it's understandable, isn't it? As he looks at the ground, the famine, this is severe. It's a severe famine. And he's scared of dying in Canaan. So he says, well, I'll go and find food in Egypt. And he's scared of dying in Egypt. Have a look at verse 11. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Abram says to to Sarai, his wife, you are still really fit. And he says, well, if the Egyptians realize that we're married, I'm a dead man. So he hatches a plan. He says, I tell you what, you tell them that you're only my sister. And so verse 13, say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Now we find out later in Genesis that actually technically this isn't a lie because actually Sarai is his half-sister. Um, but, and Abraham clearly thinks this is a good plan. He repeats the same tactic again in chapter 20. Uh, he's clearly self-interested. Don't you see that? So that I may be treated well and my life will be spared. But I don't think he doesn't care about his wife at all here. He, he's not intending to give her away or kind of sell her some kind of sex slave. Back then, the ancient custom was if anybody wanted to marry a woman, they had to negotiate with the senior male of the family whose job it was to protect them and care for them. And in this case, that would have been Abraham if he was just the brother. And this would have bought Abraham and Sarai time to get food and then maybe escape. And I wonder... You know, as, uh, as Abraham arrived into Egypt, did he think, ha, oh, I'm so clever. I've worked this one out. This is how we're going to survive this mess. How clever am I? How stupid he was. See, he didn't factor in Pharaoh. There's no negotiating with Pharaoh. He takes Sarai into his palace, verse 15 disaster. How did he end up here? Well, notice a few things. As Abraham faced a desperate situation, a real situation, a severe famine, what did he do? Well, he decided, well, let's go to Egypt. He deceived. Sarah, I say you're just my sister. And at first, maybe it looked so reasonable, so clever. What didn't he do? As he left Canaan, he didn't trust God and his promises. God had said, verse 7, I will give you this land. Verse 2, I will bless you. As he faced the Egyptians, he didn't trust God. And the promise he'd made, verse 3, of protection. Whoever curses you, I will curse. 
Actually, what we see here is that Abraham is faithless. Now, I don't think Abraham had sort of given up on God altogether. You know, he hasn't sort of packed up his stuff and headed back to his homeland. But under pressure, as the fear rose, in the detail, he forgot God. And his faith, well, it took a a serious wobble. Let me give you an example. So here is his journey of faith. Trusting in God, he's supposed to walk this journey. And as he goes along and he, he looks at the Egyptians and the famine, he begins to wobble. His faith has a serious wobble. What about God? Does he forget his promises? Does he forget Abraham? Have a look at verse 17. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abraham. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Abraham doesn't protect Sarai, but God does. And when Pharaoh finds out he's been deceived, well, I think he's probably a little bit scared as they've been experiencing this plague. But he's also furious. He's sort of spitting mad. You know, have you ever had that situation where someone's so angry with you? Maybe you, you, no one's ever angry with you. But, uh, you know, someone's so angry, they can't even get the words out. So angry. That's actually what's going on here. So literally, apparently, in, in the end of verse 19, it's just four words. It's, here, wife, take, go. He wants nothing to do with this supposed man of faith. I wonder what it was like for Abraham, verse 20, as he left Egypt, maybe not feeling so clever. This time feeling a a real failure. Because, well, Abraham, the believer, just been rebuked by Pharaoh, the pagan. Abraham, the one who's supposed to bring blessing, does he bring blessing to his family and Sarai? No. Does he bring blessing to the nations, to Pharaoh? No, he brings curses. And certainly no glory to God. Faithless. A failure. But the Lord? Faithful. Committed to his promises to Abraham. So gracious, kindness, patience, mercy. Let me do this little walk for you again. Do you remember? The walk is a walk of faith. As Abraham is on the walk and he goes along, he begins to, to look away from the promises of God and he looks to the, to the famine and the Egyptians and, oh, I'm glad God's going to be a little stronger. (laughs) Thanks, Philip. God took hold of him 
God in his grace took hold of him. Where do you feel desperate at the moment? I, ch- I chatted to one, chatted to one or two of you on the way in this morning and just hearing some of the trials in your life and they are just harrowing. Where are you afraid? Maybe someone you love is not well. Maybe the exams are looming. Maybe that work situation. And you think, can I really keep going? Can I hold on? Well, this faithful God is the one who holds on to us. You see, what does real faith look like? Yes, it looks like trusting God. And it's easy when we fear to just think, oh, we need to do that for ourselves. I need to be clever. I need to think this through. But we're not to decide for ourselves what is best, ignore what God says is best, His promises. We're not to manipulate or scheme or cheat or lie. But at the same time, the Bible is realistic that actually even Abraham, the man of faith, has moments where he failed to trust. Because real faith doesn't look like no doubts, no failure ever. It looks like a continuing trust over the long term in a God who is so gracious, committed to us despite our sin and our failure, a God who is faithful. With Abraham, nothing would stop him fulfilling his promises. Not famine, not Pharaoh, not Abraham's failure. 2,000 years ago, nothing would stop God fulfilling his promises. Not the desertion of all of Jesus' disciples, not the opponents gathering, the unfair trial, the cross, the devil, death. Nothing would stop God fulfilling his promises. And the same is true today. If we feel desperate, like we can't trust any longer, we cannot hold on, know this, God is there. He is with us. He is holding us. Now, there might be some of you here today who you don't have real faith in that sense of you don't have a living relationship with Jesus. You're not relying on Him alone for your salvation and trusting in Him in this life and the next. Let me encourage you, you need to find out more about how to do this. How to have your sins forgiven. How to have this great and gracious God hold you. But for the rest of us who have real faith, ultimately, like Abraham, whose verdict at the end was, he's a man of faith. Our verdict will be based not on whether we've always trusted perfectly, but through the ups and the downs, whether... We've kept trusting in God ultimately, who alone is faithful. A faithless Abraham, a faithful God. Well, if chapter 12 is about uh, the sort of challenge of famine and need, chapter 13 is really about facing the challenge of fortune and plenty. How will he get on this time? Well, here's what we're going to see next. A faithful Abraham, a faithless Lot, and a faithful God. This time the test is, well, it's about the family business. Um, again, I'm sure you can't relate to this, but, but you know when family squabbles happen? I don't mean amongst the children, I mean amongst the adults. 
when, uh, well, there's a discussion over, like, who, who's going to spend time with who over the holidays, the Christmas break or whatever it is? Or, or how involved the parents are with, the grandparents are with them and not with us? Or sadly, isn't it so often, who will get what in the will? Well, here we are, we find a family squabble. Verse 5, chapter 13, Lot was moving around with Abraham. They've got so much stuff, there's no room for both of them together. Incidentally, here's more negative consequences from Egypt. The wealth they acquired in Egypt causing problems now in Canaan. Yes, long term it might be blessing from God, but in the immediate, not so much. And the quarrels start. And actually, initially, it's between the herdsmen, isn't it? So Lot's herdsmen to Abraham's. Hey, this is my pasture. I got here first. Abraham's herdsmen back to Lot. No, you get lost. I'm Abraham's herdsman. He gets first pick. And, well, Abraham takes it really seriously. Peace in the family is really important. And so, verse 8 So Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. What he does next is staggering. Abraham, the one who's given the promises of God, the head of the family, says to Lot, the nephew, you choose first. Have whatever you want, verse 9. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Is not the whole land before you? What do you do when you've got one slice of pizza and two people who want it? What do you do? Well, I got recently given this advice. You've probably known this for years. But apparently what you do is you tell one person to cut the slice of pizza in half, and you get the other person to choose which half they want. Oh, that's a really good idea. Abraham says to Lot, here's the whole pizza. Here is my pizza. You can have what you want. And do you know what Lot does? Lot says, oh, I can see a different pizza. I want that one instead. Verse 10. You see, Lot looked up and saw the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, towards Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Lot chose land that was outside the promised land, outside the promises of God. Whereas Abram, verse 12, Abram lived in the land of Canaan. What is Lot doing? He's living by sight, not by faith. And he grabs. 
He sees the Jordan and he, and he goes, this is the wise choice. Maybe we, we've wondered, like, you know, why, why didn't Abram make that choice? Why didn't he choose it? Well, Lot looks to this land outside the promised land and he thinks, this is how I'm going to get rich and have earthly happiness and life, so it seems. But spot the warnings, end of verse 10. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, verse 12, Abram lived in the land of Canaan. Well, Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now, the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Like a, a warning siren going off in the text. It's saying, this is the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. The land of evil. The land of rejection of God. And actually, by the time we get to chapter 18, we realize this is actually the worst place in the world to live. But Lot, he, he can't see it. Or he doesn't care. He doesn't care about spiritual things. He doesn't care about godliness. He doesn't care about God. He's lost sight of the great promises of God. And settled instead for what he can see. Pleasure. Prosperity. Faithless lot. Abraham, on the other hand, had not. Unlike chapter 12, this time he doesn't try to engineer things or plan or scheme. He trusts that God will give what he promised. He's not afraid. Unlike Lot, he doesn't grab at blessing. He doesn't grab at the land. He doesn't even stand on his rights. He offers to share the blessing, confident that God will give this land to him in God's own time. He is living by faith. In the promises of God. I don't need you this time, Philip. <laughs> As he walks the journey of faith, this time he's not looking at the things that make him wobble, but he's looking ahead, trusting in the promises of God, and he can walk the line. And so wonderfully, the God who is faithful then reiterates and re reinforces the promises to Abraham, verse 14. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are. Look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see I will give you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, <clears throat> for I'm giving it to you. So Abraham moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. Although Abraham, Abraham can see the land, the, the earth, the dust, so much of it, he still lives by faith. Because all the way through his life, even at the end, all that he owns in terms of land is a burial plot. And Hebrew tells us it's because he's looking beyond the physical land in the Middle East to a greater reality, an eternity, a heavenly reality. 
of fulfillment of God's promises. And actually, this God is the God who gives, will give this same eternal lamb to us if we're his. Will give people, us, if we're his, the fulfillment of these promises. Lot was living by sight. Abraham by faith. Lot grabbed, Abraham gave. What about us? What can we see? Can we see that we're part of the fulfillment of these promises, that that we are part of the dust, part of the people of God, Abraham's family, waiting for the promises to be fully brought in Jesus' return? Or do we just see these things in the world as the most important? This world as the most important? Do we think of things in this world that we just could not live without? Are we living by sight or by faith? I want want to talk about two people. They're based on real people, but, but I guess they are, each of them are a combination of a whole load of people, okay? Lorcan lives by sight. Work, well, it's the way to get rich. You know, the less work he can do and the more money he can earn, the better. His aim, well, is to keep the important people on side. doesn't really care about the rest. If work sucks up all his energy and there's not really time for anything else, well, that's fine as long as there's lots of money and early retirement down the road. Relationships for Lorcan? He's not found a long-term one yet, but she'll need to be pretty, fun to be with, and not too demanding. Holidays? They're seeing the world. Having as much fun as possible. I mean, sure, you only live once. Family. Well, he sees them when he can fit them in, but, you know, life's busy. Friends. He likes to be with those who are like him and who like to do the same things as him. Church. Uh, Well, it's not really time for church. And then there's Avine. Avian lives by faith. Work? Well, it's the way to earn money, yes, to give money, to live on, to enjoy a few treats, but also to give some away. Work is a way for her to glorify God, so, so she cares about her fellow staff members, sees how they are. She's honest, she works hard, but it's not her life. And actually, she's happy to respectfully disagree with her bosses, if they're unreasonable. Relationships? Well, she's not found anyone yet. If it happens, though, it won't just be anyone. It'll be someone who is caring, thoughtful, and loves Jesus like she does. Holidays? She loves seeing the world. But she also takes time to stay at home and spend time with friends. She, she knows that they need her, and she needs them. 
And actually, she uses a little bit to help out with the Holiday Bible Club at church. Family? Well, they're getting older. They're needing more care. She's chatting to work about flexible hours. Friends? There are a whole wide range of ages, interests. She's friends with folk who are married and not, Christian and not. Some she finds restful. Some are a little harder. Church, it's the center point of her week, reminds her that this life is not all there is. What a relief. And it reminds her that Jesus is what she and the world needs. That is what real faith looks like. What does it look like? It looks like Abraham. It doesn't look like no doubts, no failures, no wobbles ever. But over the long term, it looks like continuing to return and to trust in God's promises, to live not by sight, but by faith in the faithful God. Let's just pause, take a moment to consider what we've been seeing from God's Word, maybe pray, and then I'll lead us in prayer. Our great and gracious God, we bow before you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Abraham. We thank you for what we can see in it of what real faith looks like. We praise you that you are God who is compassionate and gracious. That when we fail, we can come back to you knowing that you are the one who is utterly committed to your promises to us. Prove that beyond all doubt in the Lord Jesus. We praise you for that. We praise you that you are the faithful God. And yet we long that by your grace, we will be people who increasingly live more by faith in what is really real, your promises, and less by sight. We pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite the musicians up.